my name is Aisha Thomas and you're listening to Metcast, the podcast of Dixie Bits of the Research, Knowledge and Expertise across Manchester Metropolitan University. In this month's episode, we investigate the causes of diabetes and new treatments. And as Christmas is around the corner, we also find out why new retail sales seasons have become so popular in the UK and what to expect with changing spending habits. Finally, we take a look at the impact remote working is having on well-being and productivity. But first, Rachel Toll finds out more about the university's work tackling diabetes. It has been called the hidden killer. More than 5 million people in the UK are living with diabetes and these numbers are rising each year. If you have diabetes, your body doesn't make enough or any insulin or doesn't use insulin properly. This means your blood sugar then stays in your blood and doesn't reach your cells. Diabetes increases the risk of damage to your eyes, kidneys, nerves and heart and is also linked to some types of cancer. Taking steps to prevent or manage diabetes can lower the risk of developing these health problems. Neil Reeves, Professor of Musculoskeletal Biomechanics at Manchester Metropolitan University Institute of Sport, is developing our understanding of the causes and treatment for diabetes. One of the, so one of our main areas of research, which is focused around diabetic neuropathy, so this nerve damage, we know that 50% of people with diabetes will have this nerve damage. So that's um, 50% of the um, almost 5 million people in the UK that have diabetes. 50% of those people will have this, this nerve damage. So it's, it's not just diabetes, but it's the complications that arise from diabetes and diabetic neuropathy is one of those important complications and it's those complications that that really impact upon people's daily life and routine and so for example diabetic neuropathy in our area it it impacts people's feet so it, it causes them to lose sensation in their feet and that's really important because they can't naturally protect their feet and therefore they develop these things called diabetic foot ulcers which are wounds on their feet um, so that that in turn quite often unfortunately leads to amputation so some level of amputation whether that's of the toes of part of the feet um, of the lower leg so so diabetic foot ulcers what might start as a as a relatively sort of innocuous wound on the bottom of the foot can quickly escalate into someone needing to have their foot or even um, a below or an above the knee amputation as a life-saving procedure really. So our, our research is geared towards preventing that. Um, and the other area that we, that we investigate that's an issue with diabetic neuropathy is balance problems and falls. So balance problems and falls are a, a major issue in, in the general population, the ageing population, but they're a particular issue in people with diabetes. So someone with diabetic neuropathy is up to 20 times more likely to fall compared to their counterpart, age-matched counterpart, without diabetes. So, and, and also it's been shown that this feeling of unsteadiness that people with diabetic neuropathy have is one of the major factors in depressive and anxiety symptoms that they might feel as well. So our our research is addressing that those balance problems that stem from this nerve damage diabetic neuropathy. Professor Reeves' latest research is supported by Diabetes UK, a charity leading the fight against diabetes by sharing knowledge and bringing people and organisations together to take on the disease. We've been fortunate to be supported by Diabetes UK for some time now with with two projects. So the first project 
was about using um, smart insole sensors to detect the pressure under the feet and feed that information back to the person so that they could ultimately prevent diabetic foot ulcers and prevent the, the, the ensuing consequences of, of risk of amputation. So in, in that first project, we showed that by using these smart insole sensors and providing this information back to people who don't have this information naturally because of the nerve damage, that we could prevent foot ulcers by over 70%. So this was, this was in a really, what we call high risk group of people, people at a very high risk of developing these foot ulcers already. So this is quite a, really quite a breakthrough and um, quite a unique finding. So we, we were in the first project, this is what we found and we published this in a number of papers, most notably a couple of years ago in a paper in the Lancet Digital Health where we showed this over 70% uh, reduction in risk of ulceration by using these smart insole sensors. The, the project that we're currently doing builds upon this first Diabetes UK um, supported project and this is now looking at the fact that we have a number of um, these smart insole sensors now available and so we're looking to see if they're similarly effective because in the NHS, if something like this was to be adopted, you wouldn't just have one device. You would have, similar to insulin pumps, you'd have a number of devices. So we're looking at these, these new and emerging devices and seeing how uh, or if they're similarly effective at preventing ulceration and, and the risk of ulceration. But also, uh, secondly and importantly, we're looking at how we can help people better use these devices because many of these, these are digital devices, they involve technology, not everyone is as comfortable with technology as others. So we're, we're looking at what we call health behavior techniques to help people better use these, these devices because the more they use them, the better they'll be at preventing ulceration and, and potential amputation as well. Faye Riley, Research Communications Manager at Diabetes UK explains how the charity works with academia to bring research solutions to life. It's our job to lead the fight against diabetes by preventing more people from developing type 2 diabetes, campaigning for and supporting everyone affected by diabetes and funding research into all types of diabetes that will transform lives. So everything we do sits under two main ambitions of ensuring um, people live well and longer with diabetes and one day that we will cure or prevent diabetes for everyone. Faye highlights some of the further challenges and discusses how these are being met. Diabetes is a relentless, incredibly difficult condition to, to manage and it's really unlike any other health condition because it falls on the person with diabetes to manage it minute by minute, day by day. Um, I have type 1 diabetes so I can speak firsthand to how challenging that can be and the psychological toll it can take on people and on people's well-being. A really uh, initiative that the Diabetes UK has, has been driving forward is the NHS Type 2 Diabetes Prevention Programme, um, which is a nine-month programme that offers people who are at high risk of type 2 support to manage their weight, um, make changes to their diet and their activity levels. Um, so that's a really important way to um, hopefully prevent thousands of people from developing type 2 diabetes and freeing up NHS resources um, in the long term. And finally, Professor Reeves tells us more about his new diabetes project with colleagues in the university's Manchester Fashion Institute. 
This is about developing socks with sensing elements that can um, sense the, the shear stresses or shear pressures. So that is the kind of rubbing pressures. Um, and so we're developing these socks that can measure this, this kind of rubbing, if you like, on the feet with a, with a view to being able to measure this and feed it back to, to, to people, just as we have done in the Diabetes UK projects. And again, the, the intention there is to try and prevent foot ulcers and prevent uh, ultimate amputations. So we've got a real, again, a real multidisciplinary team working on that, um, clinicians, engineers, um, we've also got a lot of health behaviour in there and of course garment technology as well with the Manchester Fashion Institute. Thanks Professor Reeves. We'll be keeping an eye on these fascinating developments in diabetes research so watch this space for updates. Thanks Rachel. Next we join Dan Cotton to find out more about the Black Friday and Christmas sales and how it fits into plans for UK retailers. It's the time of year when everyone's looking for a bargain. Christmas is on the horizon and many of us will be gearing up to buy presents for family and friends. Savvy retailers look to capitalise on this through the annual traditions of Black Friday, Cyber Monday and Boxing Day discounts. And while Boxing Day sales have been a staple of the festive period for many years, new retailing traditions such as Black Friday, which takes place this month, have captured the imagination of retailers and consumers alike. Dr Amna Khan, Senior Lecturer in Consumer Behaviour and Retailing at Manchester Met, has kept a clean eye on these consumer trends. With her experience teaching consumer behaviour and strategic marketing to Manchester Met's degree apprentices, undergraduates, as well as managers of leading household brands, she has seen the Black Friday to Christmas sales season grow to become a staple part of the UK's retail calendar. Black Friday has been inherited in the UK. It's actually an American celebration, which normally happens around Thanksgiving. Um, so we we were first introduced to Black Friday by Amazon. When Amazon came over, they introduced us to Black Friday. And then it took off with retailers within the UK, slowly spreading. And it used to be just around the Black Friday weekend. Now it's a monthly activity where retailers started pretty early on and then carry out those discounts for pretty much two to three weeks. Black Friday is a gift to UK retailers because the consumers in the UK celebrate Christmas and to get ready for Christmas, they buy lots of presents. So if you can find all the products that you want to buy at discounted prices, you've literally just ticked off your Christmas shopping list for all of your family members, your friends. And that's why it was really ideal. It's a timing of Black Friday that's brilliant for the UK consumer, but also for the retailers because they can push that product that's not sold just yet. They would have had a season with it. They know that it's getting close to Christmas and they might not be able to shift it. So it's a good way for them to shift it at discounted prices. And it does actually lead to a lot of sales. Black Friday is one of the sales, where, one of the days in which most of the sales take place within the UK. As an American tradition embraced by UK consumers, Black Friday has fitted seamlessly into the wider strategies of our favourite brands and retailers. But how has this happened and how much planning do retailers have to do when they look at their plans for the year ahead? Black Friday is a really key milestone and date in most retailers' 
diaries now. It is a fixed diary date for retailers where they are going to get lots of traction, volume of sales, and the, the sales are really going to fly out because the consumers are ready. So it's very much a strategy in the retailer's diary. And it's something that most retailers don't want to miss out on because if you don't take part in it, for many retailers, your competitors will, and they will benefit from the consumer going to where the discounts are, especially in this market where the consumers are so price sensitive. As strategies change over time, so does the way we shop and the things we buy. But what can we expect to see this year amidst the ongoing cost of living crisis as people across the country are forced to prioritise their spending? Dr Khan believes the pressures on our purse strings will only increase the importance and popularity of Black Friday. Well, what I expect to see this year is the consumer to reduce their spend before Black Friday and actually spend their cash on Black Friday in anticipation for the discounts. And we're going to witness that because the consumer's got less money to spend. So they have to think of more savvy ways to get the money to work harder for them. So I actually think that there will be more volume of sales now. Consumers will want to use the opportunity to get what they need. You know, in the past, they might have held out till after Black Friday to see if the products went on discount again. Many consumers might actually refrain from doing that this time. They might think this is the time it's on discount and this is the time I'm going to get it, especially because the retailers are also feeling the pinch too. We have to remember that the retailers' costs are going up and at the same time, their sales are going down as well. So this is a really prime moment for them to make their sales too. And they might not be offering discounts as steep later on in the year. So the cost of living crisis is definitely going to change the behaviour. And we might see that consumers want to actually go in store, physically touch the product, see the product. You know, if you compare it to COVID, you couldn't go in the store. It was all done online. As soon as Black Friday ends, attention turns to Christmas. But what are the differences between the two sales periods? And how has Black Friday changed the way brands market their products as well as the way consumers shop as the festive season begins? Within the UK, traditionally you would have seen people fighting over a TV and there's, you know, a famous article that went out that there were some consumers, you know, fighting over it. But it's evolved into more of an online spending activity because many consumers are working during Black Friday. Um, so they can buy the products either before they go to work, during the lunch breaks, after work. And what we're witnessing is those are the times when most of the trading takes place because they don't necessarily physically go into stores. So it really took off in an online sphere. If you compare that with the US where they've got, you know, national holidays, then the the stores are full. Now, if you think about it, compare this to Christmas, Christmas sales or the Boxing Day sales that we have in the UK, we're off work on those days. So we actually go out to the stores, we go to the shopping malls and have the experiential process. Whereas on Black Friday, it's very functional. I want that product. It's discounted. Can I do a comparison on it? I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it online. So as we move to Christmas, expect to see more offers in stores with decorations and experiences to entice you in and enjoy the festivities while buying your Christmas presents. This idea of giving consumers an experience when they're shopping has become a central part of the retailer's approach. And for Dr Khan, with Christmas Day still weeks away, there's a reason why many people feel like Christmas is beginning early when they look at their local stores. The consumer wants to make memorable experiences and they want to share those experiences with their family, with communities, with friends. And it's become an important way in which the retail shops differentiate themselves from the online space and it's a very important part of the consumer connecting with the brand too so experience is increasingly important for the consumer and retailers have recognized that and are trying to 
put that in place and yes Christmas does feel like it's coming a lot earlier because it is coming earlier and it came earlier last year with them because of the cost of living crisis many retailers launched their Christmas ads a week earlier but we're also seeing that stock comes earlier into stores and it will would have done this year as well because we're still in that period of the cost of living crisis consumers feel really low and seeing stock for Christmas makes you have those warm feelings of nostalgia family happiness get together which encourage the customer to feel better and who doesn't want to feel good when you're feeling down and what if you're looking for a bargain with her expert insight dr carnison top tips on the best way to approach the sales i think the first thing i would do is look at a comparative website because there's many comparative websites which actually tell you where the best deals are and you can start your search from there then you have to think about the brands that you want to buy. So are there any of your favorite brands? Have they got discounts on at the moment? You check out your favorite brands. Are you following them on social media? Because often they tell you about the discounts on social media, what to anticipate. And then there's brands that actually tell you exactly which products are going in and which discount they're going to have as well. So the retailers are really open and transparent about the products they're going to put on sale and how much you're going to have on a discount. For example, you know, you've got the likes of Gymshark. They normally release a list of products and they tell you which ones are on discount and then it's highly anticipated at a certain time the sale is going to go on. So there's many different ways in which you can find out whether the products you want are on sale. But your starting point is to research online and think about what you want, um, who sells it and, uh, you know, where the comparisons sites are going to tell you which to get the best deal. Whether you're browsing online or planning a shopping trip over the coming weeks, you'll be playing your part in shaping the future nature of Black Friday and the Christmas sales. And as retailers wait to see the impact of this year's sales, it's safe to say that our annual hunt for the best bargains is set to continue for a while to come. Thanks, Dan. And finally, we join Chris Morris, who takes a look at remote working and why stepping away from your screen is as important as ever. Switching on the kettle and opening your laptop to start a day of work from home has become a familiar routine for millions up and down the country. In what would have been unthinkable just a few years ago, it's become the norm in many jobs as the COVID-19 pandemic kick-started a working from home revolution. Many organisations embraced hybrid work models, combining remote and in-person work, giving employees the flexibility to work from home part of the time while allowing for face-to-face collaboration at the office. Here at Manchester Met, our researchers are looking at what this means for employees and employers. Psychologists Dr Liz Braithwaite and Dr Lucy Walker have been researching the working from home phenomenon and the role of taking breaks. Dr Walker explains the barriers they found to taking breaks. So it kind of came under two umbrellas. It was um, around organisational barriers, but then also personal individual barriers as well. So, you know, a lot of the themes we found were things such as... um, having the structure of home working, so um, also having like meetings that maybe were back-to-back scheduled so they weren't able to take those breaks. That was more of like an organisational thing. But then also maybe the home environment, so um, having people around you in the home um, meant that people weren't able to take those breaks as often and also kind of feeling like they were had to have that digital presence where they had to feel like they were online. So it was that pressure and obligation of, and that guilt of not being at your desk. So what we found is that people, because of the nature of online working, there's that, that little green dot that says you're online and you're available. People didn't feel like they were able to take that break or they felt guilty if they were away from their desk because there was a kind of like a social norm. There was a norm that you were going to be online and available all the time. What do we actually mean by a break? Is it a sandwich at our desk, a quick cup of tea, 
or a full lunch hour away from our workplace? Dr Walker explains. Our rest breakers find us about 20 minutes away from your workspace. So that's when you actually disengage from looking at work. So, you know, if you're eating your lunch in front of your computer screen, and um, that's not really classed as a break. Dr Braithwaite clarifies this further. Yeah, I think it's really key is um, that disengagement from work is quite key to defining a break. If you're still doing something like talking to colleagues about work, you're still quite engaged in work, even though you feel like you might be having a break from your desk. So it's really that opportunity and that ability to disengage from work, move environments, kind of shift your attention away, especially from screens to something else for a period of time to allow you to have that period of kind of restoration before you come back to the workplace or the workspace. What actually are the benefits of taking a break in your workday for you and your work? Dr Walker explains more. We know that it can really help obviously increase your well-being, also increase your productivity while you're in the work. So less um, presenteeism, so less where you're just at work and you're not engaged with work in all. It can create a more kind of like cohesive well-being productivity workplace. A key finding from their study was the benefit of taking breaks outside when working from home, as Dr Braithwaite highlights. What was really interesting was that it wasn't just the number of breaks per se that were related to well-being and productivity. It was really this aspect of going outside that was linked to better well-being. And this is, um, you know, links into what we know about engaging with nature and the importance of engaging with nature for long-term well-being. Um, so this was quite a novel and important aspect of the study results showing that it's actually the ability to take breaks outside, which for some groups might be more difficult to do if they don't have access to outside space. But what can organisations do to make things better in this connected, working-from-home world? Dr Braithwaite talks about this further. Yeah, and I guess the other thing as well is that we are living in quite a modern, fast-paced digital environment. And we see across lots of different sectors and organisations that there are really high levels of burnout and long-term psychological stress among employees. And actually, we think that the ability to maintain well-being and productivity over the long term, so we're talking you know, not just weeks, but months and years, you know, a whole career, it's really important to manage workload, to manage stress, not just on like a global level, but a day-to-day or even hour-to-hour level. So that ability to take regular breaks in the working day means that you've got those kind of resources to buffer against this kind of long-term stress or potential burnout over the very long term you know you've got your emails on your phone you've got teams it's really hard to actually disengage from work sometimes which links into some of the research that we've been doing about engaging with your emails specifically in leisure time and um, we've actually shown that if you're you know regularly engaging with emails during the evenings or weekends that that's also linked to kind of lower levels of well-being over the long term and lower levels of productivity as well. And Dr Walker echoes the need to shape the right culture. I think organisations have probably got quite a few like learning curves to go around. We've done obviously completely at home when it was the pandemic and now moving towards a more hybrid model. I think we really need to kind of like think about the way that workers engage with online work and hours we work and how we also connect with others and that we don't lose that social connection element as well. So there you have it. The working landscape may have changed forever but the need to support employees in a remote working world remains just as important. Thanks, Chris. That brings us to the end of this episode of Metcast. 
the official podcast for Manchester Metropolitan University, where we're bringing you a new episode each month. So if you want to hear more from our experts, students and partners, as well as details on the latest research from across the university, be sure to subscribe to us on your chosen podcast platform. Until next time, thank you for me, Aisha Thomas, and the rest of the team for listening. Thank you.